Hello, and welcome to Legal Management Talk, the official podcast of the Association of Legal Administrators. I'm your host, Justin Askenazy. Something that's often crucial to successful fact-finding for a case is a client's medical records. However, it is a time-consuming and labor-intensive task due to roadblocks, red tape, and inefficiencies with healthcare providers. It is nearly impossible to access medical records in a reasonable time frame. But thanks to the coming changes to the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, or HIPAA, in 2023, the Department of Health and Human Services will implement new rules to streamline that process. Our guest today is Jared Vishni, founder and CEO of Arctrieval, which specializes in legal technology software. He'll help us break down all the details and implications of this new rule. Welcome, Jared. It's great to have you on the show. Hello, Justin. Thanks for having me. Uh, thank you for everybody for taking some time to listen to what we have to say. I hope you find it helpful and informative. So first, I know HIPAA is a pretty complex law, but can you break it down into its simplest elements and explain why it's important for law firms? Well, HIPAA started way back when, and it actually was in 1996 when it was first passed. And the whole goal of HIPAA was to really establish and provide uniform rights and responsibilities and processes and methodologies for the management of protected health information, policies, procedures on how to protect the information, make it available to others. In prior to HIPAA, it was like the wild, wild west for medical records and information. States and counties and individual providers all had their own requirements, their own standards for protecting the information. And HIPAA came along to really unify that, at least to establish a minimum set that everybody had to adhere to and provide uniformity, at least in the United States, on how we treated medical information. Gotcha. And so for law firms, how do they use uh, HIPAA to um, you know, access the information that they need? Well, HIPAA provides for two ways for getting access, and there's really two paths. And the providers and the industry in general have been very successful in educating and enforcing attorneys and other third parties to get information through a specific path. And what that's called is a individual, it's called a third party HIPAA authorization. It's issued under a specific HIPAA rule, which is 164.508. And what it says is if you provide this information, I, for example, can give you, Justin, permission to get a copy of my records. And it's this very specific way that it has to be written, and it's permissive. And, and so most attorneys and third parties all send in a request letter to, like, say, Good Samaritan Hospital at requesting records, and they have their authorization or permission from the client or the patient to get those records. And that is really a defective process because there's not a lot of recourse around it. There's If providers don't do what they're supposed to, there's nothing you can do. It's It's puts the providers in control of the process. So that's one way that HIPAA is used to get information. The other way, which is not very well known and is a more effective way to get records, is called an individual right of access request. It's a, it's a first party request. It's also part of the HIPAA privacy rule, section 164.524. And what it says is that I, the individual, have a right to get an access to my protected health information, which can be, could be bills, medical records, um, imaging studies, anything that relates to the past, present, or future care or provisioning of those services 
or payment for those for services, payment for those services about me. What makes that more effective and a better way to get records is I tell Good Samaritan Hospital I want to copy my records. They have to give it to me. I can also tell Good Samaritan Hospital, for example, I want you to send an electronic copy of my records in electronic format to anybody I choose. Unlike HIPAA, that the third-party HIPAA authorizations that leave the provider in, in control of the process, the individual right of access request puts the individual and the attorney in control of the process. The healthcare providers must respond within 30 days to this type of request. If they don't do so, they're subject to fines, they could be investigated, they could get penalties or corrective action plans for non-compliance. And that's done by the Office of Civil Rights. So it's not a real, it's not, it's, it's, it's got real teeth. It's not a paper tiger. For example, here in Arizona, Banner Health was fined $200,000 by the Office of Civil Rights for not complying with two individual right of access requests in the prescribed time frame, and that's really what that's really what the two ways that attorneys are using uh, the HIPAA privacy rule to get medical information for their clients. So, as I mentioned at the top, it can be you know a really uh, tough process to try to access those records from um, from medical providers. So, uh, given the the old rule before it's changed. Um, what are some of the pain points in that involved in that process? Well, the real pain points goes back to the fact that the providers are in control of the process. They can say things like, I'm sorry, I don't like your authorization form. You have to use ours. There's no time frames in which they have to respond to a third-party authorization. Even the states that have implemented some sort of time frame there's no enforcement agency. You have no recourse. The providers are in control. They can do what they want. They can say, I don't like your request. I'm not giving you the records. It's all permission-based. All the state statutes and federal statutes say the provider may release the information. Unlike the individual right of access request, which requires the providers to respond and requires them to issue the records, it's about the time it takes it can go months and months and months to get records. We talked to over a thousand personal injury firms and what we find and we found is that over 72% of these firms are waiting at least three months for one or more record sets related to their cases. Over 50% are waiting more than four months. And everybody talks about averages and how long it takes stuff to get in. The problem is, is if you're looking for 10 sets of records for an individual client, and you're missing two or three of them, it's great that you got seven or eight of them in three or five days, but if it takes six months to get the other three and they're critical to your claim or case, you can't move your case or claim for your client forward. So it's not about averages, it's about absolutes. And the biggest thing is really how long it takes to get the records, that's one. The other part is the amount of just wasted time that attorneys and their staff spend calling medical records departments saying, hey, what's the status of my request? Because they have no leverage, they ha it's all permission-based, they can't compel those providers to do what they're supposed to. The individual right of access request compels the providers to say, hey, you have to release this information and you have to do it in this time frame. And if you don't, I'm going to report you to, to the Office of Civil Rights. So the biggest points to summarize are how long it takes, how much effort you're putting into it, and then finally, the cost of the records themselves. It's just ridiculous. These, these costs 
that were set up and that people are paying for the records were established when paper records were no the norm. And it made sense. You had to physically photocopy a document. So a dollar a page with a $20 labor fee for 20, 30, 40 pages made total sense. Now you have electronic records that A, have tripled or quadrupled in size in the terms of the number of pages because of the information stored, but they're still being charged rates as if somebody was making a physical copy. So if you have very large charts, like in Florida, for example, if you have a thousand page chart that you need, you're going to be charged a thousand dollars for a electronic file because you don't want it paper anyway, for a thousand pages in a PDF file that it took somebody say, 15, 20 minutes to put together. So there's a disconnect between the amount of effort it takes to create a copy of the records and what's being charged when they're available electronically. And those are really the pain points that Department of Health and Human Services is trying to address. And what the former um, Secretary of Health and Human Services, Alex Azar said, that people should not be profiteering by being gatekeepers to this information. Right. So broadly speaking, once uh, this rule change is implemented this year, how will it fix those problems? Well, the good news is, I mean, this has been going on for a while. So this proposed modification to the rule change came in the wake of a court decision back in January of 2020. A lot of people cite the case uh, Syox versus Alex Azar that was ruled in federal court, that was ruled on in federal court in, on January 20th, uh, 2020, and basically vacated the application of the cost-based rate for electronic records. So what it's gonna do is it's gonna fix a lot of problems that are structural to accessing information. The key parts of it, and none of this applies to a third-party HIPAA authorization. If you continue to use third-party HIPAA authorizations, you're gonna to continue to be subject to the control and really the control and the whims of the provider or the entity that's gonna provide the records. The changes that are coming apply to the individual right of access request, and they're going to do four key things. First, they're going to reduce the time frame in which a healthcare provider has to respond to the request. From the current state of this individual right of access request is 30 days. It'll go down to 15 days. Now, that response doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get medical records. It means they have to respond to you. That response could be, I'm sorry, we, did, we never treated this patient. We have no records. That's a valid response because maybe the client wasn't sure where they were seen and it's the wrong facility. Or the response could be, here's an invoice for the records, pay the invoice and we'll release the records to you. That's also a valid response, but you're getting a response to the records. That's very important. The second thing it's doing is there are a couple of loopholes in what is defined as electronic health records that are subject to this individual right of access request. So there's those loopholes are getting closed. And you have to understand one thing about the HIPAA rules. They don't live in isolation. There's other rulemaking and legislative bodies within the federal government that control definitions of things. So for example, um, Center, Center for Medicaid Services and Medicare Services, they've defined a electronic health record slightly differently than what's in the HIPAA rules. And in the new rules, that definition of what is considered electronic health information or an electronic health record is going to become broader and more normalized across all government agencies so that there's more consistency and more information is subject to this individual right of access request. So that's the second thing that's going to happen is closing loopholes on definitions. 
The third thing that's going to happen is that there's a lot of issues with just getting the request to the right person. Many times, for example, you'll have a hospital, they'll have a medical records department, and they'll put their fax number on the website. You fax them the request and they respond via fax. I'm sorry, we don't accept requests from attorneys faxed to our fax number. You have to mail it in or you have to have a notarized signature or you have to follow a prescribed process. They're putting up barriers what are considered unreasonable measures that block access to the protected health information. And they, what's happening is in the rule set, they are going to knock down those barriers saying you cannot force an individual or their representative to submit these requests in a prescribed way. Now, the third-party HIPAA authorization is totally different. They can control that all they want. But individual right of access requests, I delivered it to you via fax machine. doesn't matter that the records are going to my attorney, my mother, my brother, my doctor. You need to process it. And you can't tell me I have to come in and mail it in, for example. So that's what third's happening is, is making easier with the business conditions for delivering the requests and having them processed. The final piece that's coming into play is bring, reining in the cost on the medical records especially when they're electronic. So they are going to go to a cost-based rate. So, and that's only gonna to apply to a very specific set of records. Anything requested with the HIPAA authorization, you're still gonna be charged the outrageous rates from either the providers or their business associates or release of information vendors like SIOC, ShareCare, and MRO. They're still HIPAA authorizations, super expensive. Individual right of access request. If the records exist in electronic format, which most do, and they're delivered electronically, the providers and their business associates will only be able to charge a cost-based rate for the records, regardless if it's one page or 15,000 pages. Look at somewhere around $25 at most. What used to cost thousands of dollars is now going to cost a few dollars in comparison, because it doesn't take that much effort to build this to build a PDF file. Now there is some effort involved, but not $5,000 for 10,000 pages of records. There's a complete disconnect between the required effort and the cost of the records. And a lot of people are profiteering from it right now, but by modifying the HIPAA privacy rule at its core and adding a new rule to it, they're adding a new section within the rule, it'll codify it, it'll make it very clear black and white, it'll end the predatory business practices, and it'll bring the cost of medical records in line to where they should be for electronic files. So that's what's coming. Uh, it was delayed a couple of times. The original rule was published. Modification was published in January 2021. We're out two years now. The final action was supposed to have been taken last October. It got pushed to March, but we're expecting the final action in March of this year, and then it'll be published in the Federal Register, and then it will go into effect in the June timeframe. So Big changes are coming this year that people need to be aware of. So a lot of information there, Justin. Sorry, it's uh, <laughs> rambled on a bit. That's quite all right. I do want to dive a little bit more into the, into the specifics of a couple of the elements that you mentioned. Um, so again, the kind of the timeliness in receiving records. How does the new rule affect uh, that, that waiting period that attorneys have uh, gone through to get those records? <laughs> Yeah, again, it's the difference between the third-party HIPAA authorizations and the individual right of access requests. There's really two paths to get records. Nothing's going to change for HIPAA authorizations. If you issue a third-party HIPAA authorization, whatever the time frame is, is the time frame. You're not going to have anything to do with it. 
you can't do anything to affect it. With the individual right of access request, the current time frame is a provider or better yet a covered entity has 30 calendar days in which to respond to an individual right of access request. They can file specifically for one 30-day extension. So it can take up to 60 days with the current rule. What they're proposing is the initial response is due within 15 days. And that initial response, they can get, and the providers can get one 15-day extension. Now, what's going, and what it does, it doesn't reset the clock. So they can't say, oh, we're responding to your request, and then we get more time. They still have to, they have 15 days for the initial response. If they can't get it done in 15 days, they have to send correspondence that says we can't do this, why they can't do it, and then they have up to 30 days to process the information. So one of the things I want to mention is prior to working with attorneys, we and my family's business and our retrieval were a release of information vendor. We worked for healthcare providers and hospitals throughout the Southwest United States and processed medical record requests. And this is how our retrieval actually came up. I don't mean to be a big, bring it up, but this is what started is we kept having attorneys come to us saying, hey, you guys are fast, friendly, and efficient. Can we help? Can you help us get records from other providers? And for the longest time we said no, but then we said yes, and that's where our retrieval came from. But the re reason I bring that up is that we were processing the records. We processed over 50,000 requests a year, over almost 5,000 a month, and our turnaround times to respond to a healthcare provider or to an attorney or insurance company, it was within two business days for a healthcare provider, within five business days for an insurance company or attorney. And our average turnaround times for attorneys were like four days. So we were getting responses out in four calendar days compared to months and months and months it was taking other folks folks to do this. So I bring this up because it is possible to do if you make the right investment in the technology. And when I say if you make the right investment, it would be the healthcare providers, make the right investment in the technologies, in training the staff is at the providers is a key element, as well as making sure that they have the right customer service skills. It is possible to get these records out in a timely fashion. It doesn't require months and months and months. So the good news is, is again, individual right of access requests, 15 days with one 15-day extension, no games or HIPAA authorization. You're at your own peril, so to speak. Right. Um, and then... Another key aspect of the new regulation is the method through which documents can be delivered and the fees are associated with that. Um, so as of this year, once the rule is implemented, what is the new process for attorneys looking to access documents and, and how is the payment different? Well, the process is going to be a lot easier because you're going to get, you're going to issue the request. The return method is going to be for electronic records delivered electronically, you'll be at a cost-based rate. So again, I say, expect to pay less than $25 for a, a full record set. It's not gonna be three or four or five or 650. I would say expect it to be less than 25, which I think is a big, really improvement from the whole process that we're dealing with today. But keep in mind, it's very specific. It's electronic records delivered electronically to you, either through an internet means or on a CD-ROM or on a USB drive. 
there are certain carve-outs that won't apply to these rates. And, and, and those carve-outs are, are, for example, um, psychotherapy session notes are a carve-out for an individual right of access request. So if you need psychotherapy notes to show emotional duress or emotional uh, damages or emotional states, then you're going to have to issue a HIPAA authorization. But keep in mind, you're not going to issue it for the entire mental health visit, just for that specific piece of information. So the page counts are going to be down. That's also, that's really the one area that it's, the other area, I'm sorry, that's one area. The other area is if the records only exist in paper format, which if you go back, if you go back in some cases and the doctor only has physical paper records, then the individual right of access request and that cost-based rate does not apply because there's actually physical effort and manual labor required to go get a copy of the paper chart, make a copy of it, and send it to an attorney or designated third party. And that kind of makes sense that it's 50 cents, 60 cents a page or a dollar a page plus some fees. It takes real effort. So that's the those are the two areas that the that the rates will not apply is either a psychotherapy notes with their, which are not subject to an individual right of access request, or if the records exist in a paper format, you'll have to issue a HIPAA authorization. But otherwise, almost everything's digital for most cases. Anything that's any personal injury plaintiff litigation matters that have come up within the last 15 years, the records exist digitally for the most part, and there's no reason to be paying these ridiculous rates for them. Gotcha. So um, I just want to uh, summarize a little bit. So you're saying that for in order for attorneys and staff to best take advantage of, of this new rule, they should go through the uh, individual right of access instead of the third-party yeah. authorization. That'll, that'll make life a whole lot easier for them. Well, it makes it a whole lot easier, and it's the only way to get access to it as well. Is, is It's not applicable to the third-party HIPAA authorization. It only applies to those individual right of access requests. It also, for those providers that do not do what they're supposed to, it provides leverage for the attorneys and their staff to compel those providers to take action and do what they're supposed to. So for example, one of the things that paralegals and staff members and attorneys will spend a lot of time on depending upon the size of the practice is just calling a provider waiting 20, 30 minutes on hold to get to somebody that doesn't have any answers or the request isn't there or what's the status of my request. Individual right of access requests change the nature of the conversation. It's no longer what's the status of my request, but it's, hey, you've potentially violated my client's rights under the HIPAA privacy rule by not responding to their individual right of access request within the, de within the designated timeframe. I want to talk to a supervisor or your privacy officer so you can remedy the problem. It is the healthcare providers or covered entities responsibility to respond to these requests in a timely manner. It is not your responsibility to chase, to chase them. And what that does is that changes the whole nature of the conversation. It's not, oh, somebody's a little late in their job. No, it's somebody has violated a rule and it's and somebody could be suffered disciplinary action. The facility or, or covered entity could be fined and investigated by the Office of Civil Rights. It's a very big deal in terms of compliance with HIPAA rules and regulations. So it's not just a like little easy thing to take care of. It gives the leverage to the attorneys and to their to get the information to move their clients' cases 
forward in a reasonable time frame. And so lastly, just looking down the road, could we see further updates to this rule or other aspects of HIPAA? And if so, what might those be? Um, that's a pretty broad question. If I were to put my crystal ball kind of thinking on, there's been a lot of movement in the, really in the laws over the last, what has it been? So 25 years now, HIPAA first came out in 1996. Uh, they've been a lot of revisions. So the initial law came out. And then in 2009, we had the High Tech Act, which did some refinements. And then in 2016, we had the Cures Act. And now in 2023, we're looking at modifying the base HIPAA privacy rule to remove some more loopholes and keep improving on what's there. Uh, are there going to be changes? Obviously, there's going to be changes. But I think for the time being, for the next few years, I don't can't predict what Health and Human Services is going to do, but it's all about a couple of key things. It's about continuity of care for the individual, improving the quality of care for the individual, protecting and providing access to critical information that affects the individual's life. So anything that can be advanced along that spectrum, I would expect to see uh, new rules and new enforcement or regulations to promote that interoperability so people make the information available. People forget that this protected health information, these medical records and billing records aren't just for the clinical treatment of an individual. They are needed in other aspects of folks' lives. Is people don't just request medical records because they have nothing better to do at night but read their medical records. They're only requested for two reasons. One is somebody is is unwell, has a medical problem, isn't healthy, doesn't feel well, needs the information for continuity of care and, and to improve their health. The other reason is there's a financial impact, whether it be an, a some type of personal injury that they need to be compensated for, they need it for remuneration from an insurance company, but these are big expensive bills that need to be addressed. And this information is critical for that. And financial stressors are just as much as a physical stressor on somebody's body. And that information needs to be available so people can continue, um, continue their lives, really, and, and not be stressed out about it. Absolutely. Well, uh, I want to uh, thank you again for talking to me, Jared, and, for, and you know, providing us with all that information and uh, giving us something to keep our eye on as we uh, get into the year. I think it's uh, it's going to be important. It's probably the single biggest change that's going to affect the legal industry for anyone that needs medical information, billing information, whether you're on the defense or plaintiff side of the house, it's going to be significant. And I think it'll accelerate access to the information and improve the efficiencies in which people can settle claims and cases in an amicable manner. Definitely. Uh, thanks to our viewers, listeners, and subscribers for tuning in. If you like the show, please subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts so that you never miss an episode. And as always, you can learn more about ALA at alanet.org. Until next time.